Good morning, Black family. Sadat here. Uh, we got a special prepper's warning. He talked about uh about how a military jet seems to have gone missing. One of their newest jets, pilot had to eject because they claim they didn't have any control over the aircraft. Apparently, somebody has hacked this motherfucker. And uh, my guess is probably China and Russia, Russia working together. And uh, they're probably going to bring the, the plane to them so they can reverse engineer it. Let's see what the prepper has to say about that. This is a national emergency. We've been told in the last couple of hours by open force intelligence operatives that a new uh, closure of the airspace over the United States government's military operations. They're basically saying that you cannot take jets out in the air without national security clearance, without basically clearance from the higher ups of the government. This is after an F-35 in the last 48 hours went missing. The pilot uh, ejected. Now they can't find this plane. What we're being told by open source intelligence operators is that this, and again, I have no known, I have no validity here. I do not know whether this is true or whether this is not true. But what we are being told makes sense. They are saying that Chinese, Russian, or some other operators were able to take control of the ship or of the of the uh, the plane of the jet and they were able to remove it from American airspace. Basically, they're saying that the pilot lost control of the jet, of the fighter jet. This is an F-35. And in his losing of control of the jet, someone else took over. Now, they can't find it. Why can they not find it after his... He was flying with another jet. They were both in the exact same airspace. If it went down... It should be down within a circumference, within an area. It didn't go down. Somebody stole that motherfucker. But they can't. And what did they start doing? They started asking you to tell them if you saw a jet overhead. Where did you see it? Where did it go? Where was it heading? Was it looking like it was crashing? Was it going up higher into the sky? They started asking all of these questions that maybe bring a little bit of validity or validation to these open source intelligence claims that maybe... This jet was taken over by another country. Now, whether that's true or not, if it is, that's an act of war. If it is, that's going to ignite World War III because this means that you have to ground all of our air forces that have any sort of capability of being taken over. Now, I don't honestly know whether the uh, the jets, the F-35 in question, even can be remotely operated, but I do know it has an autopilot feature. And in that autopilot feature, there may be some way to uh, move it into another airspace or to uh, take control of it in one way or another, keep it going just on a normal route, and then maybe take it over by uh, by downing it forcefully or by using some other means to bring it down. We should be able to find this jet. We have radar systems in place. We have a last known location. We know exactly where the pilot jumped out of it, ejected from it. There was another pilot right there with him. There is no reason we should not be able to find a debris trail, the actual downed jet, or where it went on radar. But what we know is it basically disappeared.
Now this might clear up in the next couple of hours and there might be an explanation that is very rational. But we have been seeing some very strange things over the course of the last couple of days. And this really adds to the strangeness, the weirdness that we are seeing in the geopolitical space. Some very interesting things are happening with China. Very, very interesting things happening with Russia. We have seen potential poisonings in the last 72 hours. We have seen potential assassination attempts against RFK Jr. here in the United States of America. We have an entire unraveling of the way the rule and order that was. Now with this, you see a new type of order come into existence. They know exactly what they're doing, and I'm a little bit concerned with what that's going to mean for us. There's a difference between being afraid, and that is being pushed into fight or flight, or knowing what's happening and saying, okay, I realize that it's my responsibility to prepare for these things. We know that your ability to purchase the goods that you need is going to get a lot harder soon. And so if you have the opportunity to, and not everybody does, in fact, probably not a lot of people do. If you have the opportunity to right now, you should buy a couple of extra things that you need. You should buy an extra window or stand-up AC unit. If you have the capability, make sure that it can both use cool air to cool your home and warm air to heat your home. You should buy a gas propane generator. And you should buy enough gas and gas stabilizer and enough propane to be able to use that for a 30 to 45 day period. You should go buy food and fuel and ammunition. You should go purchase these things if you have the ability to, because we know that if nothing else, let's just say that the world changes. Russia says, you know what, we don't want to fight Ukraine anymore. China says, you know what, we don't want Taiwan anymore. The United States of America says, you know what, we don't want anyone's resources anymore. Let's just say that that happens and we know that it never will. But if it did, what would you have lost by making those extra purchases? Absolutely nothing. You would have bought a hedge against future inflation. Without a doubt, that's coming because corporations cannot take less money. You see, a corporation, they have to continue to increase their profit in order to remain a viable corporate stock. And as soon as they plateau and they stop increasing their profit, their stock prices go down. Their CEOs and everybody who relies on them for money makes less. And so if they don't keep pushing that profit up by charging them more, paying their employees less, buying cheaper ingredients, re uh, wholesaling things from other countries, outsourcing all of the work to other nations where they can use slave labor, if they don't keep doing that, then they can't keep their corporate profits rising. So we are never going to see prices decrease from where they are. Sure, you might start to see some bogus junk, like where they say, oh, if you buy three way overpriced 12 packs of Coca-Cola, you can get one for this lesser price. Don't you remember when it used to be BOGO deals and you could actually buy one and get one completely free? Don't you remember when things actually had an affordability and you could go to the store and you can walk out of that store with a shopping cart buggy full of food for what, a hundred, maybe $120. Now you can walk out with one of those granny baskets, a little 12 by 12 baskets, and that can cost you $120. To say that our inflation is at 20% is still 
saying that we are idiots. We can see the price go up and we can know that it's never going to go down. So if you have the ability to, if this really becomes a national security emergency, I want you to have those couple of things. The generator is going to keep your refrigerator running so that the food that you have in it and inside of your freezer does not spoil. <clears throat> that is, of course, if your power goes out. It's also going to keep your home warm or cool. That's what that AC unit for, is for. It's also going to keep your lights on so that your children are not afraid even though the rest of the world is going dark. Now remember, you're also going to need your blackout curtains because everybody who sees your lights on is going to be real mad that you have lights and they don't. While their children are crying, screaming, and yelling, while they are afraid, unable to eat because their food is spoiled, they're going to take that anger out possibly on you. And so you not only need to be prepared to not be a beacon of light to them physically, literally, you also need to be able to defend yourself. And so you're going to need those couple of things, whether it's the generator, the food, the fuel, multiple different types, and a way to actually physically defend yourself, having weapons types that can actually get out there and touch somebody without them touching you first. You're going to need to think through these things. And then you're going to need cameras. You see, there's a whole bunch that goes into being a prepared individual, and it's not about being a paranoid individual. What it is about is knowing that we live in a world with increasing violence. We live in a time where things are going to get tougher for us and for future generations. And we live in an era where we are going to see extreme shifts in the rule of law, the ruling orders, and everything that we knew. They call it Tiat Waki, the end of the world as we know it. For us, it's as we knew it, because things ended a couple of years ago. We're never going to see those prices go down. We're never going to see China not move on Taiwan. We're never going to see Russia pull back from Ukraine until massive amounts of bloodshed take place. We are never going to see the way life was two years ago. And so we have to be prepared for this next step that starts at home. Make a communications plan. Discuss with your family where you will go if things get really bad. How are you going to move if you don't have access to a vehicle? Do you have a plan of whose house you're going to meet at if yours becomes compromised? Do you have a backup plan to that? And is it well communicated with all of your children and your family? Everybody needs to know where to look for you if you're not going to be at home. Everybody needs to know in your circle where to find you if you can't be found at the first or secondary spot. You also need to know a next step. You can take your home apartment complex, trailer, a camper, a truck, whatever it is, and you draw a circle around that, maybe a mile to three miles. Where are you going to go within that three mile period? And then if that three miles is compromised, where do you go within the next 10 mile period? And then if that 10 mile, which is a total of 13 miles now is compromised, where are you going to go in the 50 mile circle? And you need to have this plan because it can be anywhere. It could be a shopping store, it could be a Walmart, could be a, uh, a police department, a library would be better. You don't want to go where everyone else is, but you want to go somewhere that's easily accessible. It could be underneath a certain bridge. It doesn't matter. It just matters that you know and that your people know 
Things can get hairy really quick, and I want you ready. Do what you can, and do it now. We'll see you tomorrow. We hope. See, that sounds like a bunch of fuckery if you ask me. How do you just miss a whole damn plane? So now these motherfucking Chinese, I, I, I got to say, it's got to be the Chinese. These motherfuckers done figured out a way how to hijack a war plane, possibly to fly it to a safe location where they're at so they can reverse engineer this motherfucker. Man, the United States is stupid. And everything that happens to this anti-black motherfucking double standard nation deserves to happen fuck you america go find your plane bitch cut the check all right now that professor black truth is back online he just dropped a new segment so uh let's see what's going on with that soldiers i'm the professor and this is the moment of truth first off let me say this commentary is probably going to make some folks upset i was thinking about posting about it at least a week ago but i had second thoughts in fact i had to wrestle with myself about whether or not to tackle this subject at all no pun intended it's a shame that i even have to but the reason this is so problematic is because this deals with sports one of the four subjects that a lot of black folks have trouble dealing with I understand that some people have become invested in Deion Sanders, emotionally, psychologically, and I'm not here to say that you shouldn't root for him. And I'm also not saying that you should either. This morning's briefing is both all about Deion Sanders and at the same time, not. Deion Sanders is a celebrity, and that means his agenda is very different than ours. Nonetheless, we do live under a system of white supremacy, and that being the case, it is putridly, perversely normal that you have all sorts of racists who get predictably triggered by what they see his sudden rise in college sports as representing, which is them actually having to compete. But keep in mind, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Now let's get the obvious out of the way. In the white media, sports reporting is a place where racist white commentators get to spew their anti-black racism, and they all get to pretend that well, we're just criticizing a particular black athlete, or perhaps some black players, or just team culture. But you can tell by how consistently they use certain words, phrases, and criticisms that only apply to black athletes and never to white ones. It's all about race, not sports. So let's understand sports is where the racists of all stripes feel that they can say what they really think about black people. Racists of every stripe pattern and spot feel that going to sporting events happens to be a place where they can go ahead and spew their racial epithets and their slurs of the black players and that they hopefully, because they're in a crowd, they think that nobody's going to know that it's them. They'll just be a face in the racist mob. Occasionally, they do get called out, or sometimes even caught, but nothing much comes of it. This problem becomes greatly magnified when you consider that a lot of those racist spectators happen to be these university deans and sports directors. How can they tolerate all these failing college sports teams and still plow money into them? Because to them, it's a vanity project. There's a lot of psychological benefits to go along with them seeing a usually white coach barking out orders to black athletes, and they also get the sick, giddy pleasure of knowing. I knew they'd be fucking with his content. 
this this some real bullshit right here, man. For real. All of these elite black athletes are working for free, and these white men who run these schools and the corporations like Electronic Arts and others get to make millions and even billions of dollars off of these black young men who don't get a dime. It's no accident that the movement to finally allow athletes to get paid for their efforts and the money they generate came from the West Coast and not safe from the SEC, which are basically the states of the old Confederacy. So, of course, those racist reprobates are the main ones most determined to maintain the status quo. They don't like any of these changes that they see coming, and to them, Dion Sanders happens to be emblematic of those changes. It's no accident that Dion wanted to become a coach in Florida, but they turned him down. Clearly, Ron DeSantis isn't the only moron out there who will flush his career down the toilet just so that he can show his contempt for black people. No cure for stupid. Now, as everybody knows by now, Deion Sanders, in what amounts to basically only a few months, dismantled and tore down the entire University of Colorado's football program, including their entire roster, revolutionized all of it, brought in all new talent, and started from scratch. Typically, when you do that, it's going to take you a couple of years to get your legs under you and start to get things rolling. Deion Sanders hit the ground running immediately. And for a lot of these good old boy coaches, and a lot of these good old boy athletic directors who only have their job because of racial privilege, this sets a frightening precedent. What it basically means is they're going to have to get a step faster. And a lot of them got their jobs not because they're good at it, but because of who they know. The same way the black athletes set a standard that most of their white counterparts were not able to meet, the fear has always been that if you let in too many black coaches, they will also set a standard that their white counterparts wouldn't be able to meet. There's a lot of good old boys who are seeing what's happening, and they don't like it. So oh, between the racist reporters in the white media, racist so-called fans, and of course these racist coaches and sports directors and university types, not to mention the corporations who have been getting away with murder, all of them getting paid huge money off of black athletes who got nothing at all, there's a lot of people who are terrified of the changes that they see brewing. That's something that needs to be said. It goes without saying that I understand exactly why a lot of people are gratified to see what's happening with Deion Sanders in the University of Colorado. And no matter what folks like myself think of black celebrities, there's a reality there that has to be acknowledged. Now, that brings us to the other part. Before we get to that, I know there's going to be a lot of people who are already storming the comments section to bombard with messages saying, Professor Black Truth, you don't even watch sports. You don't even like sports. We know where this is going. Why are you even talking? Well, that's because, as the white media has only been too eager to point out, the amount of attention that Coach Sanders has been getting right now has created a media sensation that transcends sports. And they're right. Now, I only vaguely remember Deion Sanders when he was in the NFL. I totally forgot that he ever played baseball. But the one thing I do remember is that he was a shameless self-promoter, the operative term there being self. I'm sure that more than a few of you probably had a knee-jerk reaction to what I've said. I'm not here to bury Deion Sanders. I'm just saying I'm not going to be seeing his praises. And if you say that Deion Sanders isn't obligated to be promoting anyone but himself, I agree. You're right. And I don't require him to do so. My problem is that the white media is trying to get black people to think that his current parade of self-promotion somehow has something to do with black people in general, or at the very least, with black people in sports. And I'm telling you that you might want to think twice before you jump on that bandwagon. 
When talking about the Million Man March, Dr. John Henry Clark said, quote, it is an accomplishment, but for whom and for what? That's the question that ought to be asked about Coach Sanders and his success as the coach of the University of Colorado. Okay, so he scrapped the entire team except for his son, and he brought in dozens of newbies and guys that he knew from the NFL. And he's won his first few games. This is a turnaround story for the University of Colorado. It's pretty much unprecedented in college sports. And if Sanders plays his cards right, he's going to have a lucrative second career as a football coach. That's fine. I got no problem with that. My question is, what does any of that have to do with anyone other than Deion Sanders? Perhaps I'm reading too much into this. Perhaps I'm having a knee-jerk reaction of my own. But looking at this from the outside, it smells to me like Jackie Robinson. The white media tries to make him out to be some sort of civil rights icon, but he wasn't. Jackie Robinson had far more in common with Charles Barkley than he would with, say, Muhammad Ali. To me, the white media's treatment of Sanders has more in common with Robinson than anyone else. And while there has been the to-be-expected griping and hating from the sidelines, the truth is that when you actually look at the white media's coverage of Coach Sanders, it's been in the main positive, believe it or not. As nice as it is to see the recipients of white privilege in the sports world quaking in their boots, we need to remember Deion Sanders is looking out for Deion Sanders. And before anyone has any jerk reaction, actually listen to what it is that I'm saying. Deion Sanders is not trying to tear down anything. In fact, the changes that he's been making are things that the team owners have wanted for a while now, and that's faster results. There's something in it for them, but there's also something in it for him, too. Now, he did make one, counted one mention, that he's a black coach. That's fine, but I couldn't help but notice that Stephen Smith, of all people, was praising and defending him on exactly that basis. And when the original sports bootleg is boosting somebody, that's a warning sign to me. I've looked at this from a number of angles, but for me, there is no escaping that this looks and smells like a white media hype machine operation. Has there been criticism of Coach Sanders by figures in the white media? Of course there is. That's what they do. They criticize and tear down black people. The same whiners and wailers who criticize black people because it's a day that ends in a Y. The white media is going to be the white media no matter what. But I haven't seen this massive barrage of anti-Dion material that some people are saying that there is. A few of the usual career gripers, but nothing extraordinary. The coverage of him has actually been positive, not negative in the main. White media is actually boosting this guy. And there's more than a little part of me that wonders why that might be the case. You know who else the situation reminds me of? Barack Obama. I'm told to cheer for a man who never did anything for anyone but himself. And again, for the people who don't listen so well, I'm not saying that Coach Sanders is supposed to be doing anything for anyone other than himself. But I would advise everybody that taking care of Deion Sanders is what Deion Sanders is doing. Now, the talking points being pushed by certain black people that I see on ESPN, and yes, I do mean the usual suspects like Shannon Sharp, Stephen Smith, and others, is that Deion Sanders' success as a coach will also help to elevate black coaches and the HBCUs, etc. Family, we should all beware whenever you got the white media presenting a narrative that one black person's success is going to revolutionize the condition of the entire group of black people. That's not how group change works. Now, again, I know a lot of you are groaning and saying, Professor Truth, you don't even watch sports. Hell, you don't even like sports. So what do you know? Okay, well, here's a couple of sports stats for you. Doug Williams was the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl back in 1988. 
So that victory on his part led to a massive influx of black quarterbacks, right? Wrong. Since Doug Williams' victory, rather than the floodgates opening and black quarterbacks being given an opportunity, instead what we saw was a massive white lash from these NFL team owners and administrators in the white media. For the last 35 years, there's only been a relative handful of black quarterbacks in the NFL, and one of them was Colin Kaepernick. I think we all know what happened to him. And it's only been just this year that there's finally been an appreciable increase in the number of black quarterbacks in the NFL. 35 years after Doug Williams won that Super Bowl. Three and a half decades later. But if past history is any indication, we can only wonder how long it'll be before the white media starts in with the predictable tsunami of articles saying that such and such black quarterback isn't cutting the grade. Oh, so-and-so isn't getting it done. Oh, so-and-so doesn't have a Super Bowl their very first season. And then they'll be saying, well, here's the problem. Secondly, there's been only a few black coaches, too, despite the fact that in 2007, you had Lovey Smith and Tony Dungy, two black coaches, whose teams faced off against each other at the Super Bowl. So that was the beginning of a huge influx of black coaches, right? Since we're talking about Coach Sanders, we can have this as part of the track record, right? I'm taking the talking points that we've been getting from the white media, given to us by people like Stephen Smith and Shannon Sharp, and I'm asking whether or not this actually pans out. Tony Dungy and Levy Smith's Super Bowl in 2007 changed the game for black coaches, right? Of course not. Levy Smith was fired from the Bears in 2012. Tony Dungy stepped down as coach the year after his Super Bowl appearance. When Smith and Dungy faced off against each other at the 2007 Super Bowl, the NFL only had seven black coaches, a pathetically low number. But apparently even that was too high for the racist in the NFL, because today there's only three black coaches. So, in the 16 years since two black coaches took their teams to the Super Bowl, the number of black coaches in the NFL has been cut in half. And in the 35 years since Doug Williams showed the black quarterbacks can get it done rather than kick the door open, instead we see that the white owners of the NFL took the side of Jimmy the Greek. For those who don't know, Jimmy the Greek was a sports commentator who became infamous for a racist rant he went on where he said, among other things, that black men dominated all their positions in football and that if they let blacks be the quarterbacks, there wouldn't be any positions for the white players at all. Yes, it's true that there are white coaches, particularly in the SEC, the states of the old confederacy, who are feeling like their days are numbered. Coach Sanders isn't in control of the purse strings of his university. And when it comes to college kids getting those endorsement deals, NIL money or whatever, Coach Sanders isn't in charge of that either. And if the past history and the current racism of the white university administrators in America is any indication, it is far more likely that they'll take whatever they can glean from Dion's success, hand it off to some good old boys, and have them do their own half-brained version of it. Will their attempts to reverse engineer their own version of Deion Sanders' success work? Probably not, mainly because there were unique factors that went to what Deion Sanders did, and also because Deion Sanders does happen to be an original figure. I hardly believe that somebody like Nick Saban is going to be the next Deion Sanders, when he couldn't even be the last one. My point is that you got these good old boys who are the ones who write the rules that restrict what can be done regarding athletes. In other words, they're going to be writing rules tailor-made to try to prevent themselves from being run out for obsolescence, as they always do. Or they'll run to Congress and demand that Congress pass some legislation to help them keep their jobs, or to otherwise tilt the playing field back totally in their favor. Or most likely, all of the above. 
They don't write rules at the collegiate level to favor themselves and go to Congress to limit what Dion and anyone else who tries to follow in his footsteps can do. They write rules all the time whenever black athletes do things that make the white ones look obsolete. Under white supremacy, they don't get judged based on performance. That's what white supremacy was meant to do, to insulate and protect certain people from having to compete. As Abe Lincoln said, I would see the superior position assigned to the white man. Look, we already know the racists are whining about Deion Sanders, and we all know why. My question is, are you jumping on a hype train without asking who the conductor is? Because when I look at the media coverage that Coach Sanders has been getting, it looks more than a little familiar to me, and I don't like how it looks. Deion Sanders' little statement about being a black coach means very little to me. It's like Barack Obama saying that if he had a son, he would have looked like Trayvon Martin. Barack Obama wasn't liked by the white powers that be, or much of white society in general, but so what? Controlled opposition is still controlled. Now, I fully understand that for a lot of you, this probably isn't the take on this whole matter that you would have wanted to hear from me. That's why I've been very careful with the words that I've chosen to use. I think this is a perspective that you need to hear because I'm looking forward into the future. Some of you are going to be trying to claim Professor Black Truth says that Deion Sanders' success is a bad thing for black people. Did I say it's a bad thing for black people? Of course not. What I'm trying to say is that if the past is any indication, his success isn't going to be benefiting anyone other than himself, and it's not by accident. Will Smith wasn't trying to elevate anyone other than himself and his son and his wife. Maybe this sound familiar? I'm sure that more than a few of you bristled when I compared Deion Sanders to Barack Obama. You're probably saying that comparison's a little extreme, Professor Truth, and you know what? You probably got a point. Besides, as black people should know, Barack Obama made it a hallmark of his political career to stand in front of groups of black people, specifically black men, and start lecturing black men about pulling their pants up or about how some of these white society stereotypes and tropes are otherwise valid, repeating all this nonsense about black fathers need to take care of their kids, something that he never did with non-black people at all, so at least there's that. Deion Sanders has never done like Obama and stood in front of a group of black men and lectured them about respecting women or reinforced any Me Too, Time's Up, black men or rape-happy sexual predators crap. At least he's never stood in front of a group of young black men telling them off with any of that nonsense. Because if he did, then perhaps that would be something that black folks need to consider when evaluating Coach Sanders. Look, white supremacy is sophisticated. It has to be. And only a fool, especially a group of people who have no power, don't have a healthy sense of suspicion whenever they see the white media presenting some black person to you and putting them on a pedestal. The white media has a multitude of ways to serve its anti-black masters by getting the oppressed to act against their own interests. They're experts in getting black people to live vicariously. This is why too many of us are prone to allow actors, comedians, and entertainers to be our representatives on critical issues. That includes athletes. And it's also how we allow people like Barack Obama to insult us to our faces and then make excuses for it. It's why they thought that Kamala Harris would be such an effective tool to shield for Biden, because they thought black women would try to live vicariously through her too. Living vicariously through black figures, whether they be in politics or entertainment, happens to be a dysfunction that black people have to free themselves from. And as for the alleged criticism of Deion Sanders, that's all part of the white media's technique as well. As Noam Chomsky said, it's the most sophisticated form of propaganda when something presents itself as opposition, 
when in reality, it's actually support. People like Agent DuVernay like to run around with shirts that say, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Keep in mind, for the bootleg class, that means they dream of being part of the white power structure. To them, the goal isn't to tear down white power. The goal is to become part of it. There's a lot of people who watch sports and they love it and follow it religiously. They enjoy every aspect of it, and that's fine. It's endlessly fascinating for them. They understand how what happens in the sports world does spill over into society in general for a variety of reasons. And that's because, predictably, the racists don't draw a distinction between black athletes and the rest of the black community. We're all just one big nigger to them, that's a fact. And it's also a fact that when you see black celebrities like, say, Dave Chappelle or Jada Pinkett talking about being black, they're talking about themselves specifically. That's what goes through their minds whenever they talk about black. I guess my point is that whatever you think of the Coach Sanders story, one thing we shouldn't be doing is getting carried away. Whatever initial hype and euphoria some people feel about him will eventually pass. It always has and always will. And as the years go by, we will all see exactly what the significance of Coach Sanders truly is. My point is that regardless, Deion Sanders should not be taken as an avatar for any of us. He's an entertainer, no different than the singers, actors, and athletes we see. That's what professional sports is. It's in the realm of entertainment. It's completely valid to point out that Coach Sanders' rise happens to have a whole bunch of white media critics angry and a whole bunch of good old boys in college sports fearing for their futures. They feel threatened by it. But keep in mind, we've seen this before. They control the universities and the companies that will monetize these college athletes just like they do in the pros. This is the environment that Coach Sanders is in. That's the reality. And it's also a reality that he has a playbook of his own, one in which he's going to do everything he can to make sure that he and his son win, and that's fine. But I want people to recognize that's what's going on with him. And let's not read more into what he's doing than is actually there. Coach Sanders' rise is making a whole lot of the right people angry. And that's nice. I like Schadenfreude as much as the next person. But let's also remember that the entire reason Deion Sanders lasted as long as he did in the NFL and in Major League Baseball and his short-lived career as a commentator and actually being considered and eventually hired as a college coach is precisely because for decades these white franchises and sports operations have been able to make a lot of money off of them. And that's what's still going on right now. And it's precisely those people at these white universities and white corporations who are the ones writing the paychecks. And clearly, they feel completely confident that no matter what happens, Coach Sanders and his son can be counted on to play ball. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Mouse, Endoro, Richard Allen Lovell, Deborah Goldman, and Liban Gurhan. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.